from John chapter 6, verses 16 through 21. Listen now for the word of God. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were terrified. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they wanted to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the land toward which they were going. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. The only thing we have to fear, the only thing we have to fear, most of us know that phrase. As soon as we hear the first few words, we can finish it. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. That's generally where the familiarity with this speech ends. If pressed, most people can tell you it was from a speech given by Franklin Delano Roosevelt, but there are a good many who will attribute it wrongly to Winston Churchill. Many believe it's a reference to World War II, though it was actually given in the throes of the Great Depression in 1933 at FDR's first inaugural as President of the United States. It is hard for most of us to imagine what it was like during the Great Depression. Most of the first-hand witnesses are no longer with us. What Roosevelt picked up on at the very beginning of his speech was not so much the things that were going on in the world and in the nation and what he would propose to do about it. That all came later in the speech. But in the first words this nation would hear from its new president, He named the emotion that almost everyone was experiencing, fear. Here's the full context of that memorable phrase. He says, this great nation will endure as it has endured, will revive and will prosper. First of all, let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself, nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror, which paralyzes needed efforts to convert retreat into advance. Fear, nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror, which paralyzes. Another American, Marilyn Robinson, Pulitzer Prize winning of the novel Gilead, writing 82 years after that speech from Franklin Roosevelt, said, There is something I have felt the need to say. It is painful for me to have to express. However, my thesis is always the same, and it is very simply stated, 
though it has two parts. Contemporary America is full of fear. And second, fear is not a Christian habit of mind. Fear is not a Christian habit of mind. I remember being taken aback by that statement when I first read those words, by their certitude, by their succinct finality. Fear is not a Christian habit of mind. I thought, is she saying that Christians should not experience fear? Is she saying that Christians should repress their fear? I was taught, and I believe, based on personal experience and based on interactions with lots of people over the years, that fear and any other emotion cannot be banished from our minds. They are what make us human in many ways. To feel joy, to feel sadness, to feel excitement or anger or fear is not a choice. It simply is. And yet here are two Americans separated by generations, two Christians, saying essentially the same thing. Fear is not an American habit of mind, and fear is not a Christian habit of mind. Everywhere you turn in the scriptures, an encounter with God is almost always accompanied by some form of the phrase, do not be afraid. Two examples that James Martin points out are that at the announcement of Jesus' conception to Mary, when the angel says to her, do not be afraid, And at the beginning of his new life, when the angel announcing his resurrection to the women at the tomb says, Do not be afraid. And here this morning we encounter another text full of fearful disciples, terrified disciples, according to John, and Jesus saying yet again, Do not be afraid. The disciples are on the sea. It is dark and a strong wind is blowing. Already we know that we are in fearful territory. For the Jews, as you know, the sea was a symbol of chaos and disorder. It was reminiscent of that formless void that covered the face of creation before God spoke the words that would create all that is. It was also thought to be the abode of demons. It was the place where the evil spirits dwell. For John's gospel, dark is never just dark. Darkness is also a sign of that which stands against the light. And now, a mighty wind is blowing in the dark on the sea, tossing the disciples to and fro. One need not have ancient beliefs about the sea as the, as the home or the abode of demons and chaos to appreciate the fearfulness of a storm at sea. 
I remember my one and only time going deep sea fishing. I'm sure some of you have had this experience. We were down on the panhandle in, in Florida, and we were told to meet the captain of the boat at, before dawn. And I uh, got there, and it was well and truly dark. And our boat, our rather small boat, began to tug its way out into the Gulf of Mexico. The waves were probably not that bad by the standards of those who were used to such things, but for me, it felt like the boat was being buffeted by all manner of demonic forces. And with no land in sight, I was grateful to finally see the sunrise. It was a beautiful sunrise. And once it was daytime and I could see the waves as well as feel them, I promptly became sick. I took something for it, which the generous captain gave me, and it put me right to sleep. And I slept the entire half-day excursion deep sea fishing. So I got off the boat at the end and groggily thanked the captain and said to myself, never again. And I have kept my word. Kim asked a few years ago about the possibility of taking a romantic cruise, and I said she'd have to wait for her next husband to do that. There's no way. So I cannot really, I think I can begin to speculate, but I cannot really imagine for myself sheer terror of being in a real storm in a small boat in the dark on the sea. The amazing thing about this text, though, is that the frightfulness of the dark and the storm is amplified, not mitigated by the one who comes to them walking on those troubled waves. It's not the encounter ultimately with the wind and the waves that John narrates that brings true terror to their hearts, but the appearance of Christ walking on those waves. And it's left to Christ to say to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. The Greek words translated in our version, in the pews at least, the New Revised Standard Version, translate that it is I. It's the same Greek word where elsewhere in John's Gospel, Jesus says, I am. I am. Do not be afraid. As soon as Jesus says, it is I, do not be afraid, the disciples want to take him into the boat. But they do not. Because, at least in John's version of this story, immediately the boat reaches the land where they are going, and Jesus never gets in the boat with them. It caused me to remember the words of Jesus to Mary Magdalene in the garden. The risen Christ is in the garden with Mary, and she reaches to grab hold of him, and he says, Do not hold on to me. They too want to hold on to him to take him into their small boat. But instead, Jesus leads them to their destination. And it is here, in this rather strange variation on this story, in the telling by John, where perhaps there is a clue to that idea 
that fear is not a Christian habit of mind. It seems to me that the habit of mind of the Christian is not one who is absent of fear, but rather one who refuses, by God's grace, to act out of fear. A habit of mind is that which we choose to focus on. That's what we would call a habit of mind. That to which our mind constantly circles back to and turns toward. If our minds are habitually focused on fear, then suddenly there are many things and many people about which we can be afraid, especially those who are different from us. And those we fear, we tend to distance ourselves from or actively act against. Further, when we are fearful, we retreat often, into ourselves, more concerned with self-protection than with moving out into the world in faith. When we are fearful, we want to take Jesus into our small boats. We long for his comfort and his assurance, and surely we have that. But sometimes, as in John, Jesus doesn't so much want to get into our boat with us as to lead it for us to the other side, to the much vaster land of the kingdom of God being born in the world. Several years ago now, I was approached by a counselor at an alcohol and drug treatment facility in our region asking if I would be willing to sponsor a young man in their program, whom I'll call John, here. John had been a Presbyterian in another area of the country where he grew up, and he had walked away from his faith in his teenage years. And now he was, as part of this program, trying to reconnect with spirituality, reconnect with faith. At first, John just wanted to talk on the phone or or he wanted to meet somewhere other than the church. To walk into a church caused him such anxiety that he could hardly speak. As we talked, I learned more about his background. I learned that part of that background was an extremely strict Presbyterian church with views that were hard and fast. He told me, I embrace this way of looking at faith. I embrace this way of looking at God. And in many ways, I still do. I sometimes think God is going to send me to hell. He told me that he was gay. And he had been sent by his parents to a program designed to reverse his orientation. And shortly after he left that program, he tried to take his own life. After that episode, and after spending some time in the hospital, his parents eventually told him he had to leave their home. And he did. And he began almost immediately abusing drugs and alcohol and became addicted, all of which landed him under court order in the facility he was in now, thousands of miles away from his home and his family. 
I must say that when it comes to faith and to faith in God, I don't think I've ever met a more fearful person than he was. We got together a couple of times a month, and most of it was me listening to him wrestle with the God of fear that he had embraced and an emerging understanding, I can only call it a conversion, to an understanding that beyond that fear, God was love, first and foremost, and that God was a God of grace and welcome and that he could be loved by God. I wish I could tell you that after a couple of times meeting with him, we wrapped it up in a tidy bow and everyone lived happily ever after. It was a long and arduous struggle, both internally for him and between he and his family. But eventually, he was able to reach out to his parents to share with them once again the truth of who he was and who he was beginning to see God was for him. And he said he loved them without condition. And he hoped that they could find it in their hearts to love him the same way. And ultimately, he went back home and was welcomed uncertainly and anxiously, but with hope. But with hope by the people that he loves. When I think about fear, his face is often the one that comes to my mind. And something we talked about. Something he learned in treatment and shared with me. He said, when I'm afraid, I have to be truthful about that. With God and with the people around me. And then I ask myself, is there love for me here in this fearful place? Is there love for me here? Is God here for me in this fearful place? And I look for love and I look for God. And then I can take another step. He was, I would submit to you, slowly replacing a fearful habit of mind with something else, with a grace-filled, a loving habit of mind. And I knew it had to be true because those words he spoke to me, he spoke right here in the quiet of this sanctuary with no fear in his voice at all, being embraced by the Christ who says, do not be afraid. I think it is true deep down for us as Christians and as Americans, fear is not a habit of mind that belongs to us. Just imagine how the world, how the country, how you and I would change if we allow God to change our habits of mind. We need not imagine what that might look like. Christ is even now, leading us to the shore, saying, do not, do not be afraid. May it be so.
Amen.